During lunch one day in 1995, in the very early months of Gramercy Tavern in New York, the, the hostess of a party of six told her server that, that she didn't care for her salmon and asked for something else. Writes Danny Meyer in his best-selling book, Setting the Table, the, the Transforming Power hospitality in business. In 1915, Meyer was named one of the most hundred influential people in the world by, by Time magazine, recognizing his leadership in, in, in restaurants like Gramercy Tavern and, and, and more recently, Shake Shack. Meyer shares that what happened next, a manager was alerted and, and, and told the server to leave the salmon on the woman's bill since there was nothing wrong with it. And as the host of a business meeting, she, she didn't contest the bill, wanting to avoid a scene. And then on her way out, the woman was handed a doggy bag containing the uneaten balance of the salmon. <laughs> there was no confusion. This was done by design. The guest wrote to me, writes Meyer, I can't believe how insulting that was. Not what I would expect at one of your restaurants. I was mortified when I learned what happened, writes Meyer. The incident led to a pivotal moment in my career, he writes. Until then, hospitality had been a personal instinct. I hadn't articulated to myself what, what hospitality meant, or for that matter, what the absence of hospitality was. I wonder, have you ever had a horrible experience at a restaurant or a hotel? It was so bad you couldn't stop talking about it. You told your friend. You might have even posted something on social media. But on the other hand, have you ever had a great experience and, and, and you couldn't stop talking about it? You, you told your friends. You even posted something on social media. And what was it, I wonder, that left that good impression? Was it the quality or lack of quality of the food? Was it the weight of a fork in your hand? Bouquet of flowers in the room. Rawat Verna, a dean at Cornell University and a co-worker, asked a similar question. What defines great hospitality? And to find answers, they analyzed 95 thousand reviews from high-end hotels and resorts on sites such as TripAdvisor and Booking.com. And what did they discover mattered the most? The kind of room we are given, the ease of checkout, the quality of the food, the bouquet of flowers. What patterns and priorities of great hospitality did they discover? This fall, our theme is called Flourish, prompted by a study that Harvard supported called the, the Human Flourishing Project. And they discovered that when we align our lives with the faith community and, and become engaged in its practices, 
We can steer away from, as we've mentioned, risky behaviors. We can, we can steer away from addictions and even mental health issues such as depression. In other words, in church, we can flourish. And what practices can we adopt? So far we've considered how, how reading God's word can lead us to a place of no danger. We reflected on grounding our lives in generosity. We reflected on praying the the prayer of examine, praising God through the, the gift of music, and embracing the moral compass we find when we join a community of faith. Which brings us to the practice of hospitality. So what happened with the lady at Gramercy Tavern? Meyer notes, At the weekly management meeting after this incident, it became clear to me that that a number of others on my team would have done exactly the same thing. Why remove the salmon from the bill when it was perfectly good and she had eaten most of it? Contrary to my belief that you, you get more by giving more, Meyer notes, they were concerned about how not to get taken advantage of, protecting themselves. And that event and insight led Meyer to develop a system that he called enlightened hospitality. What's that? Meyer writes, I realized how crucial it is to put hospitality to work, first for the people who work for me, and subsequently for all the other people affected by our business. In my system, in other words, hospitality, we might say, radiates from the inside out. If a staff is hospitable to each other, Meyer suggests, it will become contagious as employees connect with clients and customers. Now, this has clearly been successful for Danny Meyer, but this week I realized that while enlightened hospitality might apply to how one runs a business. There is also something called biblical hospitality, and it is something else entirely. Which brings us to our passage from the 25th chapter of Matthew, where Jesus is teaching on hospitality, and he says this, And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed Take your inheritance. The kingdom of God has been prepared for you. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I lacked clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Well, when did we see you in that place or state? And the king said, truly I tell you, whenever you did this to the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. In her book, Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a, as a Christian Tradition, Dr. Christine Pohl suggests the core understanding of, of biblical hospitality is right here in this passage. Simply biblical hospitality perceives the person who is in front of us as representing Jesus Christ. 
Meaning, as Jesus identifies with the hungry and the thirsty and the sick and those in prison, in Matthew's Gospel, he teaches that whenever we offer hospitality to, to someone we don't know, a stranger, as Jesus puts it, we offer it to the Christ in that person. Biblical hospitality, in other words, isn't inside out. It isn't enlightened in the sense we extend light to our inner circle. Biblical hospitality works from from the outside in. It cares first about the margins and not the inner circle. That insight is underscored in our passage from the letter to the church in Rome where Paul encourages this faith community as he writes, to practice hospitality. A phrase that offers readers two fascinating words. The first is the word that is translated as hospitality, which in Greek is philozenian, a combination of of philo, philo, which means love, as in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And then also the word xenon, which we hear in xeno fear of a stranger. You see, as Paul encourages this church to, to practice hospitality, what he's really saying is, love the stranger. In a New York, in a New Year message following the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs said that he used to think that the greatest command in the Bible was you shall love your neighbor as yourself, writes Henry Britton in his book on hospitality. But then he realized this command appears in only one place in the Hebrew scriptures. More significantly, in more than 30 places, we hear the command to love the stranger. Now, this is difficult because it's easier for us to love a neighbor who is familiar. What is tough, says Rabbi Sachs, is to love the stranger. It was tough in ancient times, and it is tough today. I wonder, have you ever extended hospitality to a stranger? Someone who was different than you. At Mayflower, we embrace this verse in Romans 12, 13. In fact, you might say over the past 15 years, we've attempted to become a Romans 12, 13 congregation as 100 volunteers help house five families this week as we support Eden Children's home in Zimbabwe, as we tutor children in Grand Rapids elementary schools, as we gather supplies for kids' food basket, as we say hello to someone we don't know in the pew this morning. That's philozenian. Hospitality, love of a stranger. That's the first words in Paul's phrase. The second is equally attention-worthy. 
For the past 10 years or so, Rod Lachlan has curated this website called The Readable Bible, where he evaluates the best way to translate Hebrew and Greek words into English. He notes the second word here in Romans 12, 13 is commonly translated as practice. Yet the Greek word, diokontis, actually means pursuit. In fact, it also means to do that with vigor and to do it with zeal. And since it is a present active participle, the action is to take place repeatedly. So a better translation of Paul's phrase might be pursue and practice hospitality or or, or even pursue with zeal and practice hospitality. And if we think about it, does that not describe the life of Jesus Christ? When we think of him at a wedding, caring about the guests and turning water into wine, as he feeds 5,000 and then 4,000, as he teaches that whenever we host a banquet, we are to invite the poor and the lame and the blind as he cooks breakfast for his disciples after the resurrection, as he says in our passage this morning, I came to serve and not to be served. So can you guess what they discovered when they looked through 95,000 reviews? What appeared the most? What was the most important factor in regards to hospitality? Was it the quality of food? Was it the weight of a fork? Was it the flowers? They write that the qualitative analysis of the words used highlighted the essential nature of service. That's what we care about. That's what we can offer to each other. There's a story President Carter tells about interviewing a pastor known for loving the stranger, in particular immigrants from Puerto Rico. Carter asked him, what is the secret to your success? This pastor replied, I've learned we need to only have two loves in our lives. Love for God and love for the person who happens to be in front of us at any time. Now, sometimes that person in front of us might be a loved one. It could be a daughter or a son. It could be a sister or a brother. It could be a partner, a husband or a wife. That person might be someone on your team, someone that you work with, where you might, in fact, Curate enlightened hospitality. But especially teaches Paul that that kind of love is to be realized and to be manifest whenever we encounter the stranger. For them, we can serve as Christ served us. Then we can serve the Christ and the person who is in front of us. 
filio xenon diocontis. To pursue with zeal and practice hospitality. I wonder if we live into Romans 12, 13 this fall and we embrace that verse in our lives. How could we not, in fact, flourish? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.